Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice you can make. Don't say we didn't warn you. What if we did this like an NPR show today? And what if we just took it real slow? Right, and, yeah. You know, welcome. You know, used our lower voice registers. Welcome and... to the Hurley Burley Shakespeare show. We, good times. We are your hosts. <laughs> is that good times? Right? Good times. This this play is fucking gay. This episode, as the is kids say, sponsored by the the gays. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by the gays. All of them. <laughs> Welcome to the Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. Uh, and this week we're talking about Christopher Marlowe's King Edward II. Yay! Um, AKA the gay king. The gay one. As, yeah. I mean, as if there was only one, right? Yeah. Like, I, I love how everyone's always like, oh, it's the gay king. Uh, it's like, have you seen English kings before? Am I right? Charles the second. Am I right? Right. James the first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hello. I mean, I guess he was, you know, Scottish, I guess. But still. um, Anyway, so uh, each week on this here piddly podcast, what we do. Piddly. I would like piddly poddly. It wasn't like piddly as in small. It was like I was anyway on this here like pizzle cast i don't know um i was trying to be hip aubrey shut up i was trying to relate to the utes the, the utes right yes yeah, the utes. i i i'm i'm just i'm trying to speak their their language of tickety talks and snappity chats yeah. um yep. and and you're so hip Ubity tubes i don't know uh <laughs> so anyway what we do here on this podcast uh is that each week we discuss a different play usually it's by shakespeare i mean maybe like half the time it's by shakespeare maybe like slight like maybe two-thirds of the time it's by shakespeare but yeah. like it's not shakespeare this week um but what it is is a 101 level episode aubrey what does that mean that's introductory stuff everything you need to know to have a general understanding of the play and its major themes like the gay stuff this week. Oh my god, it's gay. And other cool things you will get nowhere else, like our opinions and so much gay stuff. Yeah, two two ostensibly straight women talking about the gay shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I say ostensibly because like, it's a spectrum, you know? It's totally a spectrum. It's a spectrum. So, Sexuality's yeah. fluid. I'm into ladies sometimes. So am I, sometimes. And before I mean, we go any further... I don't want to offend anybody in being like, who are these two straight girls? I identify as queer, mm-hmm. so please don't think people that like it's a couple of straight girls making fun of the gays. We're yes. it's not. So just wanted that out there. Like that was yeah. bothering me since we did it. I was like, I don't yeah, know. That's, that's coming across that's kind of. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm like, I not not that anyone needs to know our sexuality, but I. I identify as mostly straight <laughs> with a question mark. 
and that's okay. So yeah, that's I, okay. Um, yeah, I'm a. I was like a, a little, a little susan of of queer in me. Just like just enough to know it's there. You know, just yeah. like a little, yeah, little sprinkling, little smattering. Michelle. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the gays. Uh, so let's <laughs> the gays. Hooray! I'm, let's 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 kick it off with happy hour, which is basically stuff we like, and this Please, week yes. we like the gays. But also, you know, we like we like anti-racist pedagogy and puppies and decolonization yeah. and whatever other fourth thing we used to say that we like when we still scripted out inclusivity this intro. inclusivity the gays <laughs> yes and speaking of the gays <laughs> this week i'm recommending a book by a gay author hell um, yeah yeah this is a book that i have actually had some trouble reading because it's very personal and so i'm taking it very slowly mm-hmm. um but it's called what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by aubrey gordon who is a fat queer writer um yes. you might know her as your fat friend on all of the socials um, but this is a fan-fucking-tastic book. It's a hard read, but it's a fantastic book. And here's the thing. If you think you're woke or progressive or liberal or inclusive or what other adjectives you apply to yourself to identify that way, but you still think that someone's size or your own is a personal problem or failing that needs to be corrected and or shamed, then you have more work to do. Mm-hmm. And this book is going to get you there. It's a lot like... Um, I would put it on the shelf, like, right next to white fragility. Like, Mm -hmm. if white people, you can get yourself through white fragility and have a come to Jesus with yourself in that way, this book is formatted a a lot the same way. Expressing, you know, experiences of the fat community and thin privilege and things like that in a Mm -hmm. lot of the same ways that Robin DiAngelo does about white privilege. And it ends with, uh, Aubrey Gordon ends with a lot of, like a what is it she's got like a playbook of institutional ways to correct this problem it's a it's a social justice book yeah it is not a memoir it is not like Roxanne's gaze hunger and my you know it's not a memoir like that um it is definitely like a social policy social justice book amazing and yeah and it's fucking great and it's full of facts that are religiously cited and so like it's it's backed up with a bunch of a bunch of good studies and things like that so read it everybody has more work to do also the something i'm liking and it's they've kind of gone away now that it's basically february but those those match.com commercials with satan in 2020 every time i see them they just make me cackle with glee can I have you seen them yet? Can I can I tell you something about those commercials? Please do. They were produced, directed, conceived something uh, by Ryan Reynolds. Yes, that Ryan Reynolds. That's why they're so funny and uh-huh. like insane. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. yeah. But number two is the music that plays. It's in Taylor, those Swift. Taylor Swift. Yeah, it is. I even Suck I, it, not being a Swifty, <laughs> recognize the music. No, but it's perfectly placed and perfectly yeah. used. Yeah. And like, I am not in any way endorsing Match.com because I don't do that sort of thing. And if you do, that's great, good for you. But like, mm-hmm. I don't. Um, but like, <laughs> I'm sorry. They're just so brilliant. They're, They're so yes. brilliant, and like, they perfectly sum up the entire year. <laughs> <laughs> that was 2020 mm-hmm. and i laugh and laugh and laugh and like 
belly laugh and my face hurts every time I see one. Yeah, they're good. They're really oh, good. Oh, bless you, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. what I'm loving this week. What about you? Um, so I have had no time really to love anything this week uh, as as it's been a hell of a week for you. And, yeah. and as we will discuss later. Um, but the one thing that I have done for myself uh, literally in the last 12 hours uh, is I watched the entirety of season one of Blown Away on Netflix, um, which is a reality competition show about glass blowing. Oh, I've been wondering how that is. It's the the host is terrible, frankly. Okay. Um, yeah. But the glass blowing's fucking cool. And glass blowing is very cool. These these artists make some just incredible shit in you know like four hours, um, and there's so much artistry that goes into it. I mean, obviously it's an art form, so duh. But like it's there's way more there's way more to glass blowing than I ever really knew there was. Um, and all of the episodes are like twenty minutes, so it's nice. Like it's it's you're not sitting down for like an hour right you know and it's it just moves along real quick there's some badass women and it's just it's great um cool so totally totally recommend if you can get past the host who is just reality shows are such hit and miss with hosts yeah yeah i feel like i'm supposed to know who he is but i don't what's his name nick ihos uhos (laughs) ihos it's some some vowel hoss h-o-s-s or h-a-u-s like german h-a-s like has oh got it um yeah i don't know yeah no i i feel like he has that idea or that that persona of like i'm this person from this don't other thing you know who gonna, i yeah. am and he's yeah. just like he's just like a little rat boy and mm. with apologies because i'm sure he's a lovely person um he's annoying yeah. <laughs> i just whatever like they anyway but the the rest of the, it's very cool and they make some really really cool yeah, shit that's amazing. but mostly like there's some badass women and that i'm into that glass blowing is so cool i used it's to so cool every time i went to a renaissance fair which <laughs> if you know me or anything about my upbringing i went to surprisingly often <laughs> like it explains a lot about me doesn't it yeah um, but out. i would spend at least a good half an hour to an hour just at the glass blowing mm-hmm. station just mm-hmm. watching that person yeah. whoever it was do whatever they were doing i was just like yeah. fascinated it's so cool um anyway so that's what i recommend this week is that's our happy hour mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. Um, all right, so it's been a while since we've talked about Marlowe and his plays, so we're yeah. going to re-meet the contemporary very briefly. I don't even remember the last, was it Jew of Malta? I think it was Tamburlaine. I think oh, Tamburlaine was, was Tamburlaine. the last play we yeah. talked about, yeah, yeah, the yeah. play. Which yeah. was like the first episode of season three? Girl, I think it might have been. I think it might have been. It might have been. It was a long time ago. A while ago. It was another lifetime. We were, it was in the before times and we were different people then. Yeah. Both of those statements are true. So let's briefly re-meet Christopher Mm Marlowe. Here we go. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So he was born in 1564 and he died in 1593. So he's 29 when he died. Same year as Shakespeare. Not died, but born. (laughs) (laughs) 
he and Shakespeare were the same age is basically what they I were. am meaning to say there. Yep. He was totes a spy. And he was stabbed in the eye. He had good hair. And he wrote in a pair. With Shakespeare and Nash and sometimes, but... But never Thomas Kidd, uh, who is his former roommate who accused him of blasphemy and homosexuality to the Privy Council and maybe was part of the reason he was murdered. <gasps> and some of his greatest hits, actually his I mean, only hits. All are, of his greatest hits. Cause are, are, yeah, because his career was short lived, as was yeah. he. Uh, <laughs> you might know Dido, Queen of Carthage, which he wrote with Thomas Nash in 1587. And Tamerlane the Great, also 1587-ish. Tamerlane the Great, part de in 1588 jew of malta 1589 all three parts of henry six with billy shakes in 1591 dr faustus 1592 and today's play edward the second circa 1593 plus a couple of poems marlowe's mighty line brought blank verse to the english stage which held prominence for most of the next 50 years until the playhouses were closed after the english civil war yeah or so, around the time of. I think they were closed. Right around there. Like, during. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not even after. Like, definitely during. I just wrote a dissertation on this. <laughs> they, they were closed <laughs> at the outbreak of the war, which is uh-huh. before the war. So. Okay. There it is. 1642. That's, that's yep. when they closed. There we go. Uh, so, Marlowe. That was uh, briefly your life. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So since this is a 101 episode and we are getting back to normal, I've like, we do one 101 episode of the sonnets and we don't do a lot of the stuff. And now I've lost the habit for right. these things. We're and I'm like, like what's what? next? I don't know. Okay. So we're doing a five word unhelpful title. Mine is doesn't end how you think. <laughs> um, mine's six words, but whatever. Uh, this play is nuts about butts. <laughs> because it's gay because it's so gay i also don't mean to imply that only gays like butts i love butts i do not identify as gay but but i i love butts yeah so speaking of people and and family um Jesus uh, we're gonna give you we always give you the dramatis personae but only the really important ones uh and so the most important one is our titular character edward the second he's the king of england tit. titular <laughs> i know you said, said tit I did. um yeah he's got a boyfriend basically uh, his name is Piers Gaveston. Uh, I don't know why I needed to make that French. His name is Piers Gaveston, uh, and he's Edwards. 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 He's Edwards. Totally hot boy toy. I words speak sometimes in mm-hmm. orders that make sense. You word Question real good. Mark. I word so good. I'm the best at words. Oh, <laughs> Okay, then there's um, Isabella, the queen, and also hashtag beard for Edward II. <laughs> I mean, also like dynastic marriage. And, I mean, yeah, know, they had spare. children and stuff. Yeah. They like yeah. reproduced yeah. and stuff, but she's totes his beard. It's fine. Yeah. Um, then we have the Mortimers, who are nobles who really dislike Edward II, and they are so creatively named Mortimer Sr. and Mortimer Jr. Um, and mostly when they come up in the summary, it's Mortimer Jr. <laughs> yeah 
You may also so. see them in certain editions as Old Mortimer and Young Mortimer. Mm-hmm. Just so you know. Uh, mm-hmm. We have the Earl of Warwick, who also really doesn't like Edward II. Then we have the Earl of Kent, who's Eddie's brother. We also have the Spencers, which is another total family of royal favorites. You might also see the Dispensers. D-E-S-P-N-S-E-R. Dispenser. Not oh, like, like, like Hugh Not like soap Spencer. dispenser. But <laughs> yes. yes. Like of Spencer. Of House yes. of Spencer. <laughs> yes. That's how they're referred to in some historical documents and some versions of the play, too. Dispenser. My edition notes that they, they're both named Hugh. Hugh Spencer Sr. and Hugh so Spencer Jr. creative. Yeah. Fucking, like, get some so different names, y'all. Old anyway. and young Spencer, old and young yeah. Mortimer. This is, okay. Yeah. Uh, then we have Maltravers, who is Mortimer Jr.'s servant. We have Gurney, who is also Mortimer, Jr., Mortimer Jr.'s servant. And then we have Lightborn, who's a murderer. Yes. He does a the, murder. Does he do a murder? A murder. Murder. Most foul. Okay. <laughs> um, then we have Prince Ned, a.k.a. Edward III, who will be king after Edward II. Yeah. So it's it's his son. Okay. Um, why is this play not so goddamn popular? Well, I mean, it kind of... <laughs> I feel like it's not unpopular, right? Like, if you're going to do a Marlowe play, you're going to do Faustus. Right. Right. But then, like, I think I think this play gets done more often than Tamburlaine. I think it probably yeah. gets done more often than Jew of Malta. Even or though Dido. Jew of is totally the best play. It definitely, I mean, no one ever does Dido, yeah. right? Um, which is a shame because Dido is so much better than Tamburlaine. Yeah, like it's not it's not unpopular, but it's certainly like it's not Faustus, right? So, um, but it's it's a good play, you know. Mm -hmm. It's it's a history play. It's Mm -hmm. uh, Marlowe's contribution to the history play genre. If you are a longtime listener, first time caller, you know that Jess Hamlet hates the history plays, Um, (laughs) but I like them. But Aubrey likes them. Uh, Balance. This this is. I mean, I don't mind this history play. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. It's not as good as one Henry six, but nothing is. So fine. It's definitely better than the Henry fours, like a hundred percent better than the Henry fours. Woman, we don't have enough time on this episode to talk about how many ways you are wrong in I mean, that opinion. Anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's like. I mean, it's, yeah, so it's, what my point is, is that, like, it's, it's a tight play, it's got some exciting shit, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not super concerned with the geopolitical, which is my quarrel with most of the history plays, is that, like, I don't care about who owns France at this moment, I don't care, Um, but this one is much more about, like, personal relationships and dynastic concerns as a result of these personal relationships and less about, like, land and France. Um, It feels almost more like a family drama in that way, kind of the way Hamlet does sometimes, like, more of, like, a domestic tragedy set in a royal family and therefore inherently, Mm -hmm. like, a political machinations type of play as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also this... This play, I think, unequivocally has the best end of any history play. Did you see what I did there? Mm-hmm. I did. I did. <laughs> These get ready, folks. These kinds of butt end jokes are going to be happening the entire time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, 
you're right. Like, if you were to rank how frequently Fa- Marlowe plays are done, Faustus is probably first. Edward II is probably the second. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, because of the the way a modern audience would read this relationship between mm-hmm. Edward and Gaveston, like, mm-hmm. it's relevant. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of, kind of, sort of, and I'll talk about this a little later, too. It kind of falls into the category of, like, the gay play that ends in the death of the gay people. <laughs> the deaths of the gays yes. you know what i mean yeah, 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 so yeah, like yeah. so it's problematic in that way kind of like uh, you know like all queer characters on shows get killed uh, off right they get killed off or like uh you know the children's hour by lillian hellman ends with mm-hmm. like the character coming out and it's like a major play for the gays because she comes out and then she immediately goes and kills herself right yeah um yeah so it feels kind of that way. So in that way, it kind of makes it dated as a gay mm-hmm. play, which is kind of weird to mm-hmm. say. I mean, it's very dated. It's it's 500 years old or 400, <laughs> 400 some years old. But like you get what I'm saying. Like the, the gay characters are punished at the end, yeah. which is not the way yeah. a 21st century audience, I think, would want this to go. Right. Um, then again, it's a history play. So what are you going to do? But but yeah. So <laughs> I mean, have you... <laughs> Have you read Shakespeare's history plays? I know, I know. <laughs> Everybody you, you dies. Can, you can, but you. The point is, is that you can take the history and then do whatever you want. With That's true. It. That's true. Well, right. Marlowe certainly did that. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe it's ready for a comeback. Maybe. Yeah, it certainly. With I a think big question mark, maybe. Per- performance wise, is maybe less popular, but it gets taught. All the fucking time. Mm. Do you know mm-hmm. how many times I had to read Edward II in my eight years of grad school? No, I don't. A lot. <laughs> I at yeah. least let me let me count. I had to read it once for Paul. I had to read it, I think, three times for Michelle, plus for wow. so four times, four four times, four wow. different classes. I guess that's basically class, Edward but, too, yeah. like every other year. <laughs> Yeah, for eight years. Plus, wow. I saw it in whatever year I saw it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... Yeah. Well, and I was telling you off mic, like, I had to read it in my theater yeah. history class, and I have mm-hmm. recently rediscovered all of my marginalia from 18-year-old me yes. about this play, which is just a treasure trove. I might even take some some pictures of this and put it on our Insta. Oh, my God. You know, to make that. use of our Insta. It would be yeah. great. So, anyway... <sighs> It's summary time. I think I think we'll give you a summary and we'll talk about this play a little bit. And maybe you, listener, can decide whether this play is ready for a comeback uh, on stage. Don't call it a comeback. That's a reference to something, right? Um, it's a song sure. or some shit. Don't call it a comeback. I don't know. Sure. Are I'm you still trying to, to be hip with the Utes? Yes, <laughs> I'm trying to relate to the children trying of to today. To the Utes. I okay. um in class this week. Sorry. Sunday morning um in class this week I uh was talking about whatever I was talking about and I said that something was as the kids say one hundo p adjective yeah um and then I said wait but do the kids are the kids still saying one hundo p and my my students were just like oh no no one said that (laughs) for like 10 years i mean like two years probably um and i was like okay well uh i'm not i'm not hip and i don't i don't care and then i said what are the kids saying and they were just like i we don't are you speaking our language even like we don't understand anything that you're saying to us right now so 
Might as well be Welsh. Right? My hand, Vlad. <laughs> An oily me. Okay. Yeah. That's the Welsh right. national anthem for those of you who yeah. did not go to school with me, Aubrey, which is most of you. <laughs> for for the, the every That was like a deep cut people, for the wags. Yeah, six people got that joke. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So it's it's summary time. Let's do this. We will now summarize Edward II for you in a segment that this week we're calling Insert Joke About the End of Edward II and the End of Edward II. Ooh, hashtag antenna glasses. Hashtag butts. Um, <laughs> Great, yeah, let's right. do it. You got your Here, timer ready? I'm, I'm right. ready. Take it away. Great. Act one. Edward's dad dies and Edward II becomes king. He immediately recalls his BFF gay boyfriend, Gaveston, from exile. Gaveston plans his triumphant return to court and how he's going to plan a bunch of entertainments that will make Eddie so, so happy because love. When Gaveston gets to court, Eddie gives him titles and unfettered access to the royal treasury and a private security detail and all of these nice things. What could go wrong, right? Just favoring your friend over everyone else. Oh, just literally that everyone Every other nobleman at court is soups jealous and pissed off that this lowborn upstart has completely decimated their influence with the new king. The court demands Eddie re-exile Gaveston, so Edward agrees and sends Gavi to Ireland. I mean, which like could be worse. Ireland's pretty great. Queen Isabella, who has to play second fiddle to Gaveston, tries to win Edward's affections back by persuading Mortimer to argue for Gaveston's recall. In Act 2, Gavi gets back to court where he's immediately set upon by the other nobles and wounded in a scuffle. Mm. Uh, Edward calls them traitors. The nobles call Gaveston a traitor. It's a fucking mess. Um, Edward arranges for Gaveston to marry his niece as like a beard and also Mm -hmm. is like to like peace i don't know i don't know what he thought was gonna happen here um so the nobles revolt and they force edward and gaveston and everybody else to like flee um queen isabella takes mortimer jr as her lover since Mm. edward is so uninterested in her uh and then mortimer warwick and lancaster capture gaveston Act three is real short. Edward is granted a death row audience with Gaveston before the nobles have him executed, but Warwick attacks and kills Gaveston before Edward can see him to say goodbye. In retaliation, Eddie executes Warwick and Lancaster. In Act 4, Isabella and her son go to France and try to negotiate with the French king over the invasion of Normandy because it's not a history play without geopolitical something happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the nobles demand the removal of the Spencer family who have taken Gaveston's place as the king's new fam- favorites. Battle breaks out and the king wins. Edward has Mortimer imprisoned. Mortimer escapes by drugging his guard and he runs off to France with his pal Kent who is also Edward's brother. Let's remember that. Um, they meet up with Isabella who hasn't garnered any allies because the Spencer bribed the French nobility. Act 5. Isabella, Mortimer, and Kent return to England with an army. Edward flees and holes up in an abbey. He's betrayed by a gardener, imprisoned, and forced to abdicate in favor of his son. All of Edward's friends are executed, and Mortimer becomes Lord Protector. Kent plots to free Eddie, but Mortimer has him moved in the dead of night. Maltravers and Gurney force Eddie to shave his beard off so that he can't be recognized, and they treat him real bad. Prince Edward is crowned Edward III, Kent is arrested and executed, and Mortimer sends Lightborn to murder Edward with a red-hot poker up the butt. 
Edward III hears the news and has Mortimer executed and Isabella imprisoned. Effine. That's a nice tight three minutes. Yeah. Well, it's a nice tight play. Thanks, Marlo. Yeah. He's real concise, if nothing else. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's that yeah. mighty line. Yeah. That line it's, is so it's a mighty. Mighty concise line. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Wow. That's so many people dying. Yeah. It's just like death, 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 death. Yep. I mean, it's a history play. Some imprisonment and some death. Yeah. 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 Lots of backstabbing. Yeah. And butt stabbing, as the case may be. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> we're going to talk about that in more detail after we are. this. <laughs> I mean, so if you're like, yes. what? We're going we're gonna to fill you in. We are. Yeah. Just like uh, the red hot poker filled Edward. In. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's out. Sorry. Ooh. Okay. Sorry. Ooh, too soon. Too soon. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, um, but before we get there, we like to provide you with a taste of text in which we read a small but crucial scene or just a chunk of a scene uh, from the play to give you a little bit of its flavor, of its artistic style, of its, Mm -hmm. uh, what's the French word I'm looking for, of its joie de vie. There we go. Maybe. That's not the phrase I was looking for, but it's a good one. Um, that'll work, uh, I guess. I don't speak French, so I, I was know. gonna say yeah. oeuvre, but it's not. That's no, not it's quite not what I was. If, no, it's not that. How about it's, it's not, oof? It's not mise en scène. No. How Maybe about it's chou? Chou, which is French for cabbage. Is it? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, we're giving you a taste of its cabbage. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Yummy. It's chewy and it gives you gas. Okay. <laughs> So, am what I the only one who gets terrible gas with cabbage? <laughs> Checks out. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay, so the scene or the part, the portion of a scene we're going to read for you um, to give you a taste of Edward the <laughs> Second um, is at the very tail end of. Oh God, I can't stop making these. Okay, butt puns. I can't. Okay. I mean... It's the play a, lends itself to that. Is it kind of does. So we're at the very end of Act One, Scene Four. This is right before Act Two uh, jumps off. So um, Edward has exited. The only two people left on stage are the elder Mortimer and the younger Mortimer. Um, and I think it'll be clear why, as we read, why we wanted you to get this particular bit of text. But we'll talk about it a tiny bit afterwards as well. Would you like to be the elder or the younger, Jess? I mean. I feel like you're older than me, so got it. Okay, we'll just, go to we'll go with the typecasting. We'll yeah, great. You know, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll read Elder Mortimer, and then great. Jess will read Younger Mortimer, and I will respect you because you're my elder. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, <laughs> so here's where we're at. Exunt all except Elder and Younger Mortimer. Nephew, I must to Scotland. Thou stayest here. Leave now to oppose thyself against the king. Thou seest by nature he is mild and calm, and seeing his mind so dotes on Gaveston, let him without controlment have his will. The mightiest kings have had their minions. Great Alexander loved Hephaestion, the conquering Hercules for Hylas wept, and for Patroclus stern Achilles drooped. 
and not kings only, but the wisest men. The Roman Tully loved Octavius, grave Socrates, wild Alcibiades. Then let his grace, whose youth is flexible and promiseth as much as we can wish, freely enjoy that vain, light-headed earl, for riper years will wean him from such toys. Uncle, his wanton humor grieves not me, but this I scorn, that one so basely born should by his sovereign's favor grow so pert and riot it with the treasure of the realm while soldiers mutiny for want of pay. He wears a lord's revenue on his back, and Midas-like he jets it in the court with base outlandish cullions at his heels, whose proud fantastic liveries make such show as if that Proteus god of shapes appeared. I have not seen a dapper jack so brisk. He wears a short Italian hooded cloak, larded with pearl, and in his Tuscan cap a jewel of more value than the crown. Whilst other walk below, the king and he from out a window laugh at such as we, and flout our train and jest at our attire. Uncle, tis this that makes me impatient. But, nephew, now you see the king is changed. Then so am I, and live to do him service. But whiles I have a sword, a hand, a heart, I will not yield to any such upstart. You know my mind. Come, uncle, let's away. Exunt. Exunt. <laughs> so I like this little exchange because, I don't know, it feels weirdly progressive mm -hmm. in a way. Like Elder Mortimer is like, yep, the gays have existed for a really long time. Lots of lots of great leaders have had big old gay relationships. Mm -hmm. So let this guy do what he's going to do. You know, he'll even out as he gets older and he'll be a better ruler as he gets older. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the younger one's like, well, it's not that. <laughs> and then we it's not I don't care who he fucks. It's the except that he's a lowborn person. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's much more, at least for these Mortimers, it's about class. Yeah. And about jumping the the aristocratic ladder. Um, and apparently it gives us a great um, description of Gaveston, too, who apparently mm -hmm. dresses like a real dandy. Mm -hmm. um, Short yeah, Italian cloak. Oh, yeah. And these pearls. Yeah. And like he just he's peacocking all over the place. Mm -mm -mm. So, yeah. So that's a I think a good exchange. But also, you know, that Marlowe mighty line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that. Great. So let's talk about let's talk about this play, Jess. Tell yeah. us what the Wiggins has to say and well, things. Yeah, uh, the Wiggins doesn't have a whole lot to say except that um, the the play was most probably written in 1592. The outer limits are 1591 and 1593 because uh, then Marlowe was dead. So right. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And the the action of the play, uh, the the events of the play historically occurred um between 1307 and 1327 mm -hmm. so uh that's that's about what it is also this was played by the pembroke's men these mm. are the things that we know um but what we really want to talk about is edward's death mm -hmm. because because we do. the manner of death yes yeah yep. um so what happened is edward died or did he? Um, and Edward, right. Edward the Third, received the news of this death, um, mm -hmm. and then pretty much immediately, uh, rumors started to swirl. Um, mm -hmm. So 
so Edward uh, dies. We're going to go with dies uh, in 1327. And in 1330, Mortimer is executed. Um, and as soon as that happens, as soon as uh, Mortimer is executed, we start to hear rumors that Edward had been murdered at Berkeley Castle, not just like, oh, he was old and sick and so he died. Oh, tragedy. But like murder, right? Mm-hmm. Murder. Yeah. Um, so so the we get the murder rumors and then um we start to get these rumors that he had been killed by the insertion of a red hot poker into his rectum uh mm, what a way to go right what a way to go yes god uh this is the the this piece of information uh that we treat as historical um is maybe a result of propaganda right like let's discredit the gay king by having him die in this horrific sodomitic way is that a yeah word it is did now. i say that right okay <laughs> um yeah so so we in the from from the 1330s and 1340s we we start to get this idea this sort of rumor um being accepted as fact uh we get we get some historical accounts of it i think it shows up in the holland shed mm-hmm. um and it it is in most histories of edward uh because of his probable possible homosexuality right um however most historians now today dismiss this account of edward's death uh because they they're like why why would someone murder him in this way that is so easily detectable, right? Like, I guess mm-hmm. red hot poker up the bum is going to leave some marks. Um, although, as you and I were discussing before we started recording, uh, we have both been told by teachers, in professors, teachers, prof- smart people, uh, yeah. that this is not in fact this is supposed to like leave no marks right it was Um, meant to be a forensic countermeasure actually yeah yeah um i don't know Mm -mm. enough about the human body to like come down on which way but like i I, I know whatever like well like okay so crime procedurals are kind of my jam like i like to watch those shows so like but i'm just thinking you know like these days Right. Mm -hmm. A pathologist would examine the body Mm -hmm. during Mm -hmm. autopsy and Mm -hmm. definitely find evidence. One hundred internal and and external evidence of a murder like this. But I I mean, would they have at the time in the 14th century? Like, would they have even thought to look at his butt when examining his dead body? I mean, it's I don't know. Um, I can't. I, I mean, the human body is is layers and layers of muscle and other tissue. I want mm-hmm. I like I can't imagine that a hot poker would like burn through them from the inside out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't yeah. imagine that there would be burn marks outside of his body aside from like his anus, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I don't know. It kind of makes sense that it would be a forensic countermeasure. Yeah. Well, and especially like if he was murdered, right, he was probably buried quickly and quietly and like right. authorities were not allowed to examine the body. Right. So, yeah. 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 Anyway, so, I don't know. So there's that. Um, 
there's also uh, a theory <laughs> that Ooh, yeah, this is fun. did not really die in 1327. Um, and this, this stems from something that's called the Fieschi letter? Fieschi letter? Fieschi? It's Italian. F-I-E-S-C-H-I. Someone with Italian knowledge, please help us out. Fieschi, I think. Fieschi. Anyway, Fies- it's an Italian. Fieschi. I don't Sure. It's a, anyway. So, uh, theoretically, this Italian priest uh, who was called Manuel Italian um, sent. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to try it again. Um so uh, this priest, the priest, priesty, priesty M, uh, mm-hmm. sent Edward the Third a letter, mm-hmm. uh, and in that letter, this priest claimed that Edward the Second had escaped Berkeley Castle in 1327 with the help of a servant and retired to a life of hermitry in the Holy Roman Empire. Huh. Um, and so then the body that is buried at Gloucester Cathedral, which is supposed to be edwards is not in fact edward but it is the porter of the berkeley castle where edward was imprisoned and the porter was killed by assassins and then presented to isabella the queen as edward's corpse to avoid punishment because that makes all kinds of sense the letter is like validated by this other thing that is maybe supposed to have happened which is that um in 1338 edward the third the the son right goes to antwerp and he meets a guy called william the welshman Mm. which is just like the best name um (laughs) And William the Welshman is actually Edward the uh, Second. Yeah. So, so, and here's the fun thing about this letter, right? Is that like part of it, historians are like, yeah, this is totally true. It's totally accurate. And then other parts are like, nah, that's whack. Um, yeah. So it's like anyway. So there, kind there's of a mystery. Yeah, there, there are, historians are kind of all over the place on this. Um, a guy called Paul C. Doherty is like, I, you know, I don't know that the letter is true. And also, I don't know that William the Welshman was who he said he was. But uh, I still believe that Edward may have survived his imprisonment. Um, and then Alison Weir, who you might know uh, as the author of several very, very good uh, historical fiction novels on Tudor era mm-hmm. queens. Yeah, and also yeah. she's like a proper historian. Um, she believes that the events in the letter are more or less true uh, and says that this letter is evidence that Isabella had no hand in murdering Edward. And then this other guy, Ian Mortimer, probably no relation to the Mortimers, but what do I know? Uh, right. Ian Mortimer says that the the letter in uh, the, the story in the letter is pretty accurate. Um, but in fact, uh, Mortimer and Isabella had Edward secretly released and then faked his death. And then Edward III found out about all of this and was just like, well, this is a good story, so I'll maintain this. Wow. Uh, yeah. So there's like a lot of different theories about what happened and when it happened and who it happened to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, but you can't talk about the end of Edward II without talking about the end 
of Edward II. No, it's true. And Marlo clearly made a choice, right? Marlo leaned real hard into uh, theory number one, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, because he's Marlo and he likes to push the envelope on all kinds of stuff. Um, Oh, he sure does. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you for that. You're welcome for that. Yeah. So, um, first, I just want to go into the itsy-bitsy, teensy-weensiest bit of history. Just a little bit. Not a lot. Just a little bit to refresh your English regnal memory. Because it's been a while, actually, since we've talked about a history play. Um, Well, I mean, well, we talked about Henry VI, but, like, I didn't go into the genealogy then. But, like, I needed a refresher, so I kind of figured our listeners needed a refresher. So, just to situate Edward II in the line of history plays as we understand them as a series. Um, Edward II was the great-grandson of King John. Yes, that King John. So Edward II's eldest son, Edward III, was Richard II's grandfather. And in fact, that's exactly the order that the crown passed down. So Richard, Edward II, basically in the in the sequence of history plays, comes between King John and Richard II. So King John, Edward II... Edward III, Richard II, and then, yeah, so, they're all, it's okay, they are all Plantagenets at this point. The War of the Roses has not happened yet, right? It's about to, but it, it a few generations later, but it has not happened yet. So they're all one big unhappy family, okay? So now, okay, although early modern folks didn't view homosexuality the same way we do, um, or even call it homosexuality, right? Um, there is some debate amongst historians even now about the nature of Edward and Gaveston's relationship. Was it a really deep friendship? Was it a sexual relationship? Does it matter? Right? But regardless of any of that, like how they looked at it then, the play reads very, very gay now which is why Jess and I have been making such a big deal of the gays and the gay stuff this entire Mm -hmm. episode, right? It reads very gay now. And all of this to say is that whoever you cast as Edward and Gaveston need chemistry. Please cast actors who have chemistry, just like any other stage couple. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, like I said, I don't remember anything about the very first production of Edward II that I saw. I remember nothing about those actors and about their chemistry. I do remember the ASC production you were talking about. And uh, I mean, the chemistry was wanting. They tried real hard, mm-hmm. but the chemistry was lacking. Um, and mm-hmm. and I, I just I just feel like that hurts your play for any on screen or on stage couple. Right. Mm-hmm. You, they need they need chemistry. Here's why that's especially important. So the actor playing Gaveston has this lovely little moment at the beginning of the play when he's being recalled from exile the first time where he launches into a monologue about how I'm going to do all this great stuff for my love, Edward. I love him so much. I'm going to make him so happy. I'm going to delight him with art and music and shows and masks and we're going to do all kinds of we're going to dress pretty together and he says it like he says uh musicians that with the touching of a string may draw the pliant king which way I please. So the actor playing Gaveston has to decide how manipulative he's going to be 
is he it's a choice right uh, and i i really don't have an opinion either way but like these guys need to have some kind of sexual chemistry to make it at all believable that edward at least loves him that it's at least a one-way relationship um i think it's more interesting and the stakes are higher if it's a mutual affection um but the actor playing gaveston needs to decide how much he is or is not manipulating Edward for status at court. So you're going to have to be ready to make a choice about that. I just think the tragedy is bigger and the fallout is bigger if there's mutual affection. I think you're But right. maybe also some manipulation, right? Like you can have an anti-hero, you know, I'm all about the anti-hero. So stuff to think about, right? I also want to talk about the ending of the play because it is a major, major staging challenge. And here's why. I'm not going to read you the whole scene because it's, one, it's a crowded scene. It's actually kind of yes. full of people. There's so um, many the way, people. yeah, the way Marlowe writes it, it's full of people, and it's prop heavy. Mm-hmm. Like they bring in Edward. They there's a lot of embedded stage directions here. There's mm-hmm. not like uh, there's not explicit stage directions, which is kind of crazy. It doesn't say they stab him in the butt with a red hot poker. It just says know. King. It just says King Edward is murdered. But before then, there's lines of dialogue like, you know, Gurney says, uh, you know, need you anything besides? Lightborn says, what else? A table and a feather bed. That's all. I all. And so they bring him. They put Edward on a feather bed on a table. They roll him up in it like a burrito to, I guess, muffle his screaming? Well, and to to keep him, right, so he can't. Right, and to stop him from wiggling. I mean, there there are other ways to do that than a mattress, though. Like, so it seems like an odd thing to do. Like, you could tie him up with ropes to stop him from wiggling. Like, you could do all kinds of things. I mean, I guess you need access to his, anyway. I mean, yes, you need access to his nethers, but... Yeah, so it's it's just a weird it's a weird scene to stage and mm-hmm. also just horribly horribly violent like mm-hmm. how you going to do it? Which direction is Edward going to face when you mm-hmm. do it? <laughs> I mean, he has to face towards the audience, right? With his face Does towards he? Yeah, cuz you can't actually poker someone up the bum on stage. No, but like if you have a cushion to hide it, you could I do guess. sort of a sleight of hand and like make it look like it's going inside him and when it's really just between the actor's body and the mattress like if you wanted to so like which part of that do you want to accentuate and this brings me to ask like you know it it brings up a debate that we have mentioned several times in different episodes on this podcast where traumatic incidents are concerned and that question is should we inflict that kind of trauma on our audiences Mm -hmm. yeah um, for what purpose? Why? Does the gay community need to see more of their people being murdered on stage? Yeah. Question mark. Do Does anybody need to see that kind of violent death on stage? So that's, it's, you know, it's just a thing to consider. There's a lot about it. Like you would want to get, I would argue, not just a fight choreographer, but an intimacy choreographer for this kind yes, of thing. Yes, please. Um, for this murder, but also for the other. Um, there's not, there's not like explicit directions about on on stage affection either but i feel like there would have to be right to show the closeness in their relationship so you would want an intimacy choreographer for that um you know so lots of stuff to think about um side note too which i just noticed this time kind of flipping through the imprisonment and abdication part of this play is eerily similar to the way shakespeare shows richard the 2nd 
being deposed, right? They're, like Edward has this moment, like he's all dirty in a prison cell, but also he's like, let me be king until nighttime. And then, okay, I guess here's my crown. No, don't take my crown. No, okay, I guess here you go. Just let me have Gaveston. Oh, you killed him? Oh, shit. Like, <laughs> it feels a lot like what happens to Richard II when he's like, no, yeah. uh, don't take my kingship away. Okay, take it. But don't take it. I don't know. It just feels like it feels like Shakespeare stole this, like, lifted this scene and put it straight into Richard II. And then finally, just to think about, like, this, like most of Marlowe's plays, because Marlowe is just a subversive writer his plays and their subjects resist fixing or sanitizing there is no toning this play down if you are a production company and you feel like well our audiences are kind of conservative and maybe there's a way to sanitize this there isn't choose a different play <laughs> like you can't like this play kind of it resists um, regendering and other kinds of funky stuff that modern productions want to do, like unless you're going to turn it into a lesbian relationship, but still you got to keep it gay, right? <laughs> like you have mm-hmm. to keep it gay. Um, like you can't forgive the pun, half-ass this play. You have to. It's go big or go home. Like you have to lean into it. It's full of big feelings and big moments and major subversion of all kinds of norms. You have to own it and lean into it, or don't do it. And that is that is how I feel about a lot of Marlowe's plays. But I think particularly this one, if you want to do it justice and if you want your audiences to feel like they got what they came for, you have to do that. There's no sanitizing or fixing this. That's that. That's what I got. Checks out. Yeah. Let's play a game. Yeah, let's play a game. Uh, we're going to bring back a, an oldie but a goodie. Line roulette. Who's who's the victim this time? Is it me or you? I think it's you. I think yes, yeah, true. You went. Yeah. You played last time. Okay. Um, okay. So in case you don't remember, line roulette is when Jess. Uh, you can hear her jiggling her dice right now. She's gonna roll the dice. She's gonna give me an act, a scene, and a line number, and I'm gonna have to argue for a minute, a literal minute, about why that line has everything to do with the entire play, why it encapsulates the whole play. So let's do it. Act one. Excellent. Okay. Scene one. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Line 52? 50. Damn. The, wow. Coincidence? I don't know. Okay. Um, here's the line. I must have wanton, po- wanton poets pleasant wits. And it's exactly in that portion that I quoted just now, mm-hmm, where he says, mm-hmm. the whole line is, these are not men for me. I must have wanton poets, pleasant wits, musicians, that with touching of a string may draw the pliant king the way I please. So, I must have wanton poets, pleasant wits. Okay, I'm ready. You have your timer? Take it away, babe. Okay, so I'm going to focus right here, right now, on the word wanton. Um, wanton means, like, insatiable, horny AF, and that's exactly what Edward and Gaveston are basically this whole time, uh, and what leads to both their executions by the end of the play, right? Uh, I must have wanton poets, pleasant wits. Gaveston wants nothing but the good life and good things for Edward. That's what Edward wants, too, and they try to live that best life. Uh, and just have fun with each other and 
you know, Edward forgets that, oh, yeah, there's a kingdom to run and I don't get to just hang out with my boyfriend all day. Right. Um, so this idea of wantonness and slacking of duty and choosing art over governing is absolutely the theme of this whole play. And it leads to everyone's downfall. Boom. I'm done. Nice. For once, nice. I actually got it done under a minute. You sure did. I did it. You sure did. Bam. Well done. Okay. Let's gossip and get the hell out. Yeah, let, yeah let's gossip. Okay. Take it away. Uh, so, number one, someone on Twitter this week created a font that makes it look like your your document was written from Ebo. I saw not written, that. But it's, yeah. Um, the font is Black not, letter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, black letters coming right now is is oh. uh, uh, Roman type. Um, oh. Anyway, but it's it's awesome. Um, it is not yet available for distribution, uh, but the guy who created it says that soon it will be. So that's awesome. Fun. Because, duh. Um, coming up on March the 26th, uh, there is um, my my program, the Strode program here at the University of Alabama is hosting uh, an online symposium with Joyce Green McDonald and Reggie Wilburn. Um, and the the that conversation is going to be why critical race studies now um, it is going to be free to register uh, once we have a link. I will let all of you listeners know, um, but just like. If that's a thing that you're interested in doing, you can mark your calendar now. It's Friday, the 26th of March at 3 p.m. Central, I'm pretty sure. Um, Yeah, I don't know that it will be available on YouTube afterwards. So this is if you want it, you should make sure to get there live as as a sign up becomes available. I will I will let you know, but it's going to be great. Joyce Green McDonald is awesome. Reggie Wilburn is awesome. It's going to be awesome. So. Great. Um, So the most recent Race Before Race Symposium happened this past week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can catch, if you missed it, it was a free symposium open to all. um, But if you missed it, you can catch all four days of speakers and they're, you know, delivering their papers and the question and answer sessions afterwards on the ACMRS YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. That's the Arizona Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies. But you Mm -hmm. can find it if you just type in ACMRS in YouTube. And speaking of ACMRS, they have an upcoming event, which is happening today, the day this podcast comes out, which is on February 8th, called The Bard in the Borderlands, Race, Language, and Coloniality, which is a scholar roundtable hosted by ACMRS with Ruben Espinosa, Catherine Gillen, Adriana Santos, Jesus Montano, and Catherine Vomero Santos. Uh, And it's happening on February 8th from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's free to register on Eventbrite. Um, There's still time if you're listening to this podcast earlier in the day, you can still catch it. Um, But if not, I imagine that it will probably also appear on their YouTube channel later. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you can catch it then, too. Yeah. Um, Last episode, we chatted about how we are eager to hear from you all about what which which of the Queensmen plays that we talked about this season you'd like to hear us do for our finale. Um, We have received votes only for Friar Bacon and Friar Bungay. Um, So if you don't want to hear that play you should get in touch and tell us what else we should do uh because right now it's it's looking like fbfb uh which is fine that'll be a fun play um Mm -hmm. and then that's what we have to say about that that'll happen and then also i turned in my dissertation this week (laughs) it's 
it's done. It's complete. It is final. It's got page numbers. It's got a table of contents. Oh, man. It's got pictures. Ugh. Yeah. Such a journey. Five whole pictures. It's many thousands of words. Uh, many hundreds of pages. It's Oh, man. It's done. It's done. I can't believe it. I'm so yeah. proud of you. Do you remember that time when we recorded that episode like a million years ago where you were like, I think I've decided on my topic and I'm going to take my comps now. And no, oh, we've no been on this journey that. with you. <laughs> but we've been on this journey with yeah. you. It's oh, it's so crazy. I mean, we started this podcast when I was still in coursework. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Listeners, listeners have and you've heard me flail about my dissertation. You've heard me complain about it and cry about it. Yeah. And, um, and now it's done. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, I am not I am not a doctor yet. Uh, but before before our final episode, if all goes according to plan, I will become a doctor. Very maybe few not, steps left, you know, maybe not before, but right yeah. at the time anyway that's i i'm gonna be a doctor before february is out uh which is amazing uh, like exciting other adjectives i don't understand how we got here i don't understand where the time went i don't understand our entire pod is like a chronicle of your journey though that's kind of kind of great i have to like go back and listen to it i guess from from episode one <laughs> and just like check yeah. in on on where i'm at yeah. i keep saying like clearly i like phds are hard right like there's a yeah. reason that people don't just have them all the time it's it's a it's difficult and it's arduous and it requires a lot of work so i know that i must have done that work sure but i have no memory of doing any of it i've just blocked it out i'm like yeah. I've, all i've done for the last eight years is like bake and watch netflix i don't understand when i wrote a dissertation i mean i do i i, I did the thing i yeah. i didn't just fuck off and bake and watch netflix for eight years <laughs> <laughs> i have done a lot of work um but i yeah it's it's been a journey man it's yeah. yeah. Now I have to like go be a real adult in the real world. Yeah. That's terrifying. Anyway, um so that <laughs> that's that's it. I'm I'm done. That's what I got. Yeah. That's a great note to end on. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started. Mm-hmm. Tune in next time. We're doing our first 202 episode. <gasps> 202? I know. And that's uh, we're so exciting. Taking Othello as our jumping off point for that. So Ooh. tune in for for our penultimate episode of this season. Yeah. Penultimate. So exciting. So. All right, whamble it out. Out! The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurleyburleyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurleyburleyshake, no S, 
on Twitter. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which I record, the Muskegee Creek Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past and present. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land currently referred to as Stanton, Virginia, the Monacan and Manahoac nations, and pay my respect to their elders past and present. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. This episode of the Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show brought to you by the gays. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. I hope, this is what I hope, <laughs> is that we have one listener out there who is both very rich and very gay, and they hear this episode, yes. and they get in touch, and they say, hello, Jess and Aubrey, I'd like to sponsor you on behalf of the gays, and then <laughs> we can just add that to our credits, yeah. right? Like, wouldn't yes. that be great? So, I would really love to make an actual bumper right? thanking our sponsors, the gays. The gays. <laughs>